Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher here in New York City, where things are starting to get a little bit closer to normal. We're in stage four, phase four of the reopening, which is kind of a big deal because a while back, New York was the worst in the country, and now uh, it seems like things are getting under control. The infection rate here is less than 1%. And, you know, good news all around. I don't know exactly when. They might start opening comedy clubs and places like that. But I have been doing some stand-up lately. I've been participating in something called the Burbank Comedy Festival, which is not actually taking place in Burbank this year. It's taking place on the Internet. So I signed up for this festival and you know let them know that I would be interested in performing if they would have me way back in January before the pandemic and I said I looked at the schedule and there's a lot of good poker in LA around August so I said you know I can go and do some comedy play some cards have a good time I used to go every year in August when the WPT Legends of Poker took place in August and I have a lot of good memories of the Bicycle Casino and some of the other rooms around L.A. So what a difference a few months can make because back in January, I agreed to perform on this festival, thinking that I could do some shows in Burbank and hit some comedy, hit some poker rooms around L.A. And instead, what has happened is I can't play poker legally in my city and I was doing stand-up into a laptop which is very strange. But fortunately for me, this podcast has prepared me to basically talk to myself. So I've gotten, I think, a little better at it. (laughs) Anyway, there's been a lot going on in poker. GG Poker recently has been accused of kicking out players for being winners. So that's interesting to me because... Well, let's talk about it. Okay, so if you're a sports book and you make your living getting 10% juice from all bets and half the bets are going to be on the Kansas City Chiefs this week and the other half are going to be on the New England Patriots this week, whatever the game is, and then you just make your money off the VIG, right? So that's the extra 10%. You have to lay $110 to win $100 profit. So over time, the bookies make money from just collecting that extra 10% from all bets, and then they don't care who wins. Now, I would think that bookmaking establishments, as well as poker rooms, would welcome all players, whether they are winners or losers, because similar to sports betting, poker makes its money off the rake, off the vig, right? So 
why would they not want winning players on their platform? I don't know. Are they trying to create an experience where people can have fun losing money, but if you start winning money, they reserve the right to refuse service? I mean, I understand these companies can refuse service to anyone for any reason. I get that. But it seems to me that they should not want to. What does GG Poker care if some people are winning? That's what I'd like to know. If anyone has thoughts on this, please answer this question. I'm asking quite honestly. At Clayton Comic on Twitter and let me know what you think because I'm really at a loss. Similarly, I've heard of Vegas sports books such as William Hill, notoriously, banning winning players. Now, I don't really get it. I really, I'm at a loss. I mean, yeah, I guess if you're winning in parlay bets or if you're particularly good at futures betting, which I don't think anyone is because futures betting is so marked up, there's no way you can beat the rake on that. So I'm at a loss. So tell me why some gambling companies say no thank you to winning players. I mean, look, it's not like blackjack. Like if I play blackjack against the dealer and I somehow have an edge because I'm a really good card counter or because I can do edge sorting like Phil Ivey or something, like, and they don't want my business, that's different because they don't make money off of the VIG. They make money off of the inherent house edge on every single hand. But in games like poker and sports betting, there is no such edge, so I don't know why they would want to say no to anyone. So let me know what you think. I would love to hear some opinions on this. So tweet me at Clayton Comic and let me know. Today I wanted to talk about a couple of hands that I played in a $100 tournament on WSOP.com last month. Now, many times when we do this, I like to tell you how the tournament ended up for me. But in this case, I don't want to do that because I don't want to taint your view of what may or may not happen during this these hands. So let's just jump into it. This one's kind of early in the tournament. Now, this is a $100 tournament with a $10,000 guaranteed prize pool. Now, for those of you who are used to playing on ACR or Poker Stars? that's going to sound ridiculous. Like, why would I pay $100 when they're only guaranteeing, what is that, 100 players for a $10,000 guaranteed prize pool? And you're right. I mean, it is a pretty small ROI, but it's also a smaller field. And one thing I like is when they have 100 players or fewer, as they often do, for this tournament, they will award a very high percentage of that prize pool to first place. So I like that. I think it makes the final table more exciting and the strategy a little more aggressive where there is such a reward for winning the thing. So as you guys know, that, that suits my playing style and makes poker more fun for me. So that's one reason I really like this tournament, which I believe they run every single day on WSOP.com. Of course, it's only open to players in Nevada and New Jersey. But from what I understand, 
the government does not forbid me from discussing the hands with people in other places as well. So that's what we're doing tonight. And in this hand, I start off with the nuts. The blinds are 175 and 350, and the average stack is right around 11,000. Hero holding pocket aces under the gun at an eight-handed table. Actually, if I look, it's a seven-handed table because the player that should be the big blind must have arrived after the cards were dealt. So there are actually, there's an empty seat and there's also a player that's in a seat but did not get cards. So it's a seven-handed table and we're under the gun with about 18,000, almost 19,000 in chips. Now, notably, the big blind only has 4,000 in chips, so he's got like 12 big blinds, and uh, most of the other stacks at my table are around 8,000. So we're doing great. We have the biggest stack at the table. We're in very good shape in this tournament. So, of course, we, we could limp in and look to uh, back raise, as some people like to say. I don't really do that very often. I think that the play is a bit overused, and it's, it's not really fooling anyone anymore. So if you want to do that play sometimes, you have to make sure you have some non-nuts hands in your limp re-raising range so if you want to do that i would suggest maybe like ace five suited we've talked about ace five suited a lot on this program and everybody knows by now that ace five ace five suited is a favorite hand for pre-flop bluffing because you are almost never worse than 30 percent to win the hand so you, it's got a lot of equity unless you're so unlucky that someone actually has aces. Otherwise, you will always have at least 30% winning chances. So that makes it a fun hand to put into your preflop bluffing range. Uh, some players at the very highest levels have taken to just never stop raising with ace-five suited. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that might be a little too much for me but I think that if you are trying to construct a range for limping and re-raising pre-flop that doesn't just include aces and kings we know you want some bluffs in there it's great to have a hand like ace five suited in the mix as well you could maybe try some other pairs too but I like using a suited ace five for this purpose because of the aforementioned pot equity considerations, but also the blocker value of a lot of the hands that would want to compete with you. You are blocking with your ace. So, you know, of course, aces, ace king are much less likely if we are holding the ace five suited ourselves. So anyway, in this situation, as in most situations, I decide to go ahead and raise it up. I just did a min raise here. You could go a little bigger, of course, obviously, but given that the big blind is so short, I decided since he's the most likely caller, I wanted to make sure that he would at least call. So I just min raised 
under the gun to 700. Again, the blinds are 175 and 350. So we make it 700 under the gun with the Ace of Spades, Ace of Hearts. I don't think there's going to be much controversy to this decision. On my left, my immediate left, a pretty loose player just calls and he's got a little less than we do. He's got about 16,000 in his stack. In late position, a talented professional player calls in the cutoff and he also has about 16,000 in his stack. So the three of us are going to see a flop and it comes king of clubs, 10 of spades, five of spades. Now we have the ace of spades. So it's not a bad flop for pocket aces, but against two opponents, I don't think we should be trying to shovel all of our chips in the middle. So if we look at it, we've got a pot of 3,000 and we have another 18,000 behind and our opponents have about 15,000 behind. So the effective SPR in this pot is five. So we don't want to get all of our chips in the middle here with an SPR of five against two opponents when we only have one pair. Now it is a very nice pair, the highest one pair of hand possible, but that's just too many chips to put in. So at some point, we're going to have to pick a street to not bet. Now, if we didn't have the Ace of Spades, I think it makes a little more sense to check the turn rather than the flop. But when I have the backdoor flush draw, backdoor straight draw to go along with my pair of aces here, I think it makes sense to check on this street and the, the idea here is pot control. I know that if I get all these chips in the middle with just one pair, it's incredibly unlikely that the one pair I have will be good, especially when one of my opponents is pretty talented. I don't see this guy like getting it all in with like King Jack. It's just not, not about to happen. I mean, possibly he would have some big bluffs in his range with like a queen jack of spades or something like that but you know really that's there aren't that many combos especially when i have the ace of spades so for that reason i'm trying to control the pot so i do decide to check and then the amateur player checks as well and the tough player bets 1055 into 2985 so he bets about one third of the pot, which is actually good news for us. I mean, my preference would have been for this to check through, but given that he opted for such a small sizing, I'm happy to just call. I My main concern right now is trying to get to showdown. This pot is actually perfectly fine with me right where it is. You don't want this pot to get too big when you just have one pair. So that's the whole idea behind pot control. So I was hoping to check it through, but if it, if it doesn't check through, I'm happy to see that it's only a one-third pot size bet. 
Now this is the problem with being out of position. It's much harder to control the pot size from out of position for obvious reasons. I can't make everybody else not bet, but when I'm in position, I get to see whether they bet or not first, and then I can decide what I want to do. So given the back doors and given the fact that there's a great chance the aces are still good at this point, uh, folding is not an option. I also think that raising here is a little wild. It's a defensible play because number one, your hand could be good. It's probably good, but I think it's a mistake because it puts you in the territory of this is a really good hand to either win a small pot with or lose a big one. So I just don't see any reason to do that with pocket aces here. I would be more likely to do that with a hand like ace queen of spades, which would have a gut shot and overcard as well as a flush draw. I mean, that's the kind of hand I'm pretty happy to get all in. Likewise, if I had king 10 or a set of kings or a set of 10s, those are the hands that I will be looking to check raise this bet and try to get as many chips as possible in. But with one pair, even the best pair, I'm trying to keep the pot small, so I just call. And then the uh, amateur player to my left also calls. So all three of us are still in this pot. And there is now 6,150 in the pot. And we have about 17,000 in our stack. So we've done a pretty good job of controlling this pot. There's no reason why all of these chips have to go in. Well, actually, we should be looking at the other player stack. So now they, they are both down to about 14,000 each. So they still have more than twice the pot here on the turn. So I think we have accomplished our goal of controlling this pot size, unless somebody decides to make an overbet, which could complicate things, especially because the turn is the nine of spades. So now our board is king of clubs, 10 of spades, five of spades, nine of spades. And again, we have pocket aces with the ace of spades, ace of hearts. So now we have an overpair and a flush draw. The problem is the queen jack got there. And I certainly think that either of my opponents could have queen jack, especially queen jack suited from the player on my immediate left. But the player in late position could have decided to call and play in position with queen jack offsuit as well so he could very well have all combos of queen jack and the problem for us is we don't block any of them and so we are happy to have turned a flush draw but still not trying to build a huge pot with this hand so again i check you could also go for a blocking bet here, like a little defensive bet, like maybe a little less than one third of the pot on the turn, trying to maybe represent that flush and hoping to freeze up a player with a hand that would have bet. So that those kind of bets only work when the other players were going to bet more and now won't raise. So that's a pretty tight range of hands that, that you need for them to have. So if I, in other words, if I bet say 1800 into 6150, it's because I'm afraid if I check the player in late position might fire again at this pot and this time bet 3000. Therefore I would have to call that 3000 because I have so much going on, but I wouldn't like it. And I might be able to save myself 1200 chips 
if I just bet. But that assumes that he's never going to raise that 1800 And because we don't know exactly what he has, <laughs> I think he will raise sometimes. It's nice to be blocking the nut flush, but players will raise with any flush. This isn't Omaha. So I think the play here is to check again. Although, as I said, I wouldn't mind if you decide that you want to put out a little defensive bet here, a little blocking bet. If you wanted to do that, I really couldn't blame you for that. So we check and the second player checks and the player in position checks behind. So now we've got our aces, we've got our flush draw, and we've managed to control the pot. So everything is just going swimmingly for us. And now we get to see a free river. And that card is the six of diamonds for a final board of king of clubs, 10 of spades, five of spades, nine of spades, six of diamonds. So king, 10, five, nine, six with three spades. Hero holding the ace of spades, ace of hearts. Uh, do you want to bet now? I mean, given that the turn checked through, I think it's reasonable to bet now. If you want to bet now and you want to bet something like half the pot, I'm all for it. I have no problem with that. The plan has to be to fold if anyone raises. So you're going to bet fold. Uh, I opted to just check again. At this point, my hand is pretty well under repped and I still think there's a reasonable chance it's good. I mean, of course, each of my opponents could have one pair, in which case I will win this pot. I'm very comfortable with the size of the pot right now for the strength of my hand combined with the scariness of the board. So I check hoping that everyone else checks as well. And the player on my immediate left, the less experienced player, fires a healthy 31.75 into 61.50. So it's just over half the pot. So what do we make of this? I mean, this guy's been calling, checking and calling all the way, and all of a sudden he does literally his first aggressive action of the entire hand here on the river. And then the other player folds, leaving it to me. I believe this is a very close decision between calling and folding. I could also get behind a, a shove here if you want to just turn your hand into a bluff because you have the ace of spades. But I think that's a little bit FPS, <laughs> fancy play syndrome. And the reason why I say that is because this is not the type of opponent who's going to spend a lot of time and energy trying to interpret what that check raise all in means and will basically just call you when he has a strong hand. So the real question is, does this guy have our aces beat very often? You know, again, he's betting half the pot here, a little bit less, but we can just go ahead and call it half the pot, which offers us three to one on a call. So when your opponent bets half the pot, your hand needs to be good at least 25% of the time 
in order for that call to show a profit. So my question is, how often do we think our aces are good here? Well, I believe that 25% is a very generous estimate for how often this pair of aces is going to be good. I mean, this player is loose and passive. He doesn't just wake up and decide to bluff. Uh, if he has something like ace-10 or even king-queen, he just wants to see if it's good, especially because if you think about it on the river, he has two opponents to worry about. Now, the other player folded after he bet, so I don't have two opponents to worry about. I just have to beat whatever he made it 31.75 with. But I think the right play here is to just throw our aces away. I don't think they're good 25% of the time against this particular opponent. Against a tougher opponent or a more aggressive opponent or just a generally more bluff-happy opponent, I could absolutely support the idea of calling. But against this guy, you know, these are the times when we just have to say it's not a good board for our hand. Our opponent, who's been passive the whole time, suddenly wakes up and fires a half-pot bet into two opponents. You just have one pair. I know it's a beautiful, beautiful pair that even turned into the nut flush draw on the turn. But because... I play the player and I didn't see this player doing this type of thing with one pair before I decided to fold. So the bad news is we don't know what he had. <laughs> but I like this hand because I think it shows it wasn't easy to fold, but I think that I, when I piece everything together, it just feels like, yeah, of course he could be bluffing or he might think that he's value betting a king here, but I doubt it. I think this player had queen jack or a set or two pair, and I just don't think that he would do this with even a pretty strong king like king queen or king jack. It's not impossible. It's not totally out of the question. But one thing we know for sure is he's not bluffing with a busted flush draw with the ace of spades because we had the ace of spades ourselves. So let me know if you agree or if you think that I am too tight. <laughs> Something I'm not often accused of being, but I would love to know how many of you think I should have called. Okay, so let's do one more hand from that same tournament I think you guys will like this one. We actually had the chip lead in this tournament with 30 players left, which is around 10 or maybe 12 spots away from the money. So we were looking good. At this point, we had 73,000 in chips, and we were in first place with 30 players left. And the second place player had 47,000. So we've got you know about 80% more than than the second place player. So we've got quite a chip lead going here. I want to tell you a little bit about that player. He's a very uh he strikes me as a recreational player, an amateur player. 
it seems to me like he just really loves the game. He wants to, he's got all the moves and he wants to show them off at every turn. So in this hand, he's in the big blind. When it's folded to us, the blinds are 500 and 1,000. And we are on the button with pocket nines and it folds to us. The second place player is in the big blind with 47,000 and the small blind only has 13,000. So we might as well ignore the small blind for all intents and purposes. We've got pocket nines. We would love to raise and have the small blind shove and have the big blind fold. And then of course it's an easy call with two nines here. It's way too strong of a hand to fold just because a short stack shoved about 12 spots before the money. So we open and we really have our eyes on the stack of the big blind. So we make it 2000. Now you will notice that very often on WSOP.com, I do a pure mint raise. I don't always do a pure min raise, but because the blinds and antes are already so big, I feel like we want to have some maneuverability after the flop. And in order to do that and maintain that, we need to keep things reasonable for our opponent's stack. So he's playing with 47 big blinds. So we don't need to be raising three X or two and a half X even. I mean, it's a very small point. I think a lot of players really obsess over whether they should raise to 2.2 X or 2.8 X. And honestly, it doesn't really make that much difference in most situations. But certainly if we both had a stack like mine, I would make it a little bit bigger, especially against this player who I think is very likely to call whatever I make it. So, I mean, within reason. So he does call the min raise and defends his big blind. And we see a flop with 5,500 in the pot and the effective stack is the big blind with 46,000. So again, we have a big and mighty SPR here of nine. So even if we flop an over pair with our nines, we're not looking to try to get all the chips in with one pair. So. 5,500 in the pot, flop comes. Queen of clubs, jack of diamonds, five of hearts. So it's queen, jack, five, rainbow, and we have two nines. Our opponent checks as we expect him to, and we have our first decision of the hand. All right, this is a bread and butter spot. There are two over cards to our nines, we have an aggressive opponent in the big blind. Should we bet? I think that a mix is probably what a solver would say, that you should bet this some of the time because your opponent, especially with the min raise pre-flop, your opponent really does have a range that looks a lot like any two cards. <laughs> I mean, there aren't many hands he would have folded to the min raise. That said, there's some chance he flopped, he outflopped us. More importantly, can we get value from this opponent if he did not outflop us and we bet this flop? Probably not. I mean, he may peel one time if he has a five. Remember, the bottom card's a five. Or 
if he just flatted pre-flop with pocket sixes, pocket sevens. I just don't think he would flat very often with those hands. This is the type of player that would say, look, the button is trying to steal my big blind and I have a pair, so I'm going to three bet and show him who's boss. I mean, that's the, the personality type that we're up against here. So given all of that, I think the right play here is to check back. Even if a solver would say you should check back 70% and bet 30%, I would say do that 30% when you don't have a read on your opponent and you think that you just have to try to beat a robot. This is a guy that's going to fold a lot. And when he doesn't fold, he's going to bluff or he's going to check raise. And it's going to be very hard for us to know whether he's bluffing with a hand like King-10 or maybe just Ace-5 and he flopped bottom pair. So I want to stay out of those bad spots, make my life easier, and just play my position. So I'll just check it back and we see what happens on the turn. So there's still 5,500 in the pot. And the turn card is the Eight of Clubs. So we have a Queen of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds, Five of Hearts, and now on the turn, the Eight of Clubs. So it's Queen, Jack, Five, Eight, with two clubs. And at this point, our opponent leads out for 4,000, which is a very healthy bet into this 5,500 pot. Now, okay, the Eight of Clubs did give us a gut shot, all right, for what it's worth. I'm not too excited about that gut shot. It means I basically have to hit a 10 on the river if I'm behind, or I could probably also win with a nine on the river, so I may have up to six outs if I'm behind. The question is, what hands should he be making it 4,000 with? Well, he should be doing that with his two pair hands, uh, again, I don't think he has a lot of sets in his range because I think that he would usually three bet with just about every pair pre-flop. So I don't expect him to have a set very much. Uh, he could have queen jack, but this player may have even decided to three bet with that pre-flop. I mean, he was a very love of the game kind of just get after it every at every turn kind of player. So, this felt like a spot where I should call. The possibility that my nines are good, combined with the, the little extra value I get from having this gut shot on that eight, made me want to call. I also have the nine of clubs in my hand, making it a little bit less likely that my opponent picked up a flush draw which in this case is actually bad news because we want him to be bluffing here with a flush draw. We don't want him to be value betting a hand like queen eight that just made two pair or jack eight. Like these hands are definitely in his range. Even eight five, those hands are all in his range. It's close, but we decide to call. And now we're going to see a river. And the river is the eight of diamonds. So now there's 13,500 in the middle and our opponent has 42,000 in his stack. And here on the river, 
he decides to check. All right. Very, very happy that he checked. Uh, it means that he doesn't have a monster. But does it mean that he could have a jack? So here we have a decision. If we bet really big, our opponent will have to fold a jack. But given that the river paired the eight, it's not a great card, the eight on the river. It's not a great card for us to effectively turn our nines into a bluff. Like if we value bet here, I don't think we can really get called by anything. I think even this opponent would usually throw away a pair of fives on queen jack five, eight, eight. So, I mean, yeah, you could go for super thin value if you feel like he could have a five a lot. I think it's more likely he has a jack or nothing when he checks here. I think this opponent would fire again with a queen and certainly with an eight. So I'm not worried about being beat by three of a kind. I'm really only worried about him having a jack. Do you see why? Because I think he would bet again if he had a queen. And I'm sure he would bet again if he had an eight. So if he has a five, our nines are good. If he has a, a jack, our nines are not good. So the problem is, can I get this player to fold a jack? Because if I can't, there's no point in even considering bluffing. Because the only hand we're not beating that he might fold is a jack. And I think in the moment, I ultimately decided that there was no value in trying to get this guy to fold a jack because he's not a big folder to begin with. It's not a good board for me to bluff. So he won't think, well, because it's a bad board for Clayton to bluff, Clayton's probably not bluffing. He won't go to that level. He's just going to say, I don't see how my jack could ever be no good here, and I'm just going to look it up. So even if I bet the pot here and just bomb it on the river, I expect this opponent to call too much with a jack to make doing so profitable. So I decided to just go ahead and check and hope that my nines were good. And my opponent turned over the 10 of clubs, four of diamonds. So what did he bet on the turn for 80% of the pot? Just a gut shot. So he really had nothing, and it just shows the value of reading your opponent and trying to let your decisions be informed by that player's tendencies. Had I been up against a more straightforward opponent who doesn't bluff, and when he does bluff, doesn't bet 4,000 into 5,500, etc., etc., then I think it's pretty easy to fold my pair of nines here because I'm not getting a good price to draw to six outs and against such an opponent I would know that's the most I could have would be six outs but because we're not playing against that type of player I play a little bit more of a bluff catching strategy and there's also the chance that a river card could come to improve my hand so we made the call and it worked out which we went on to win. So this was one of the first place finishes that I had last month in July. And it was kind of fun to do a little hand history review of it. 
because this hand came back to me as I watched him back. This one, I really remember my thought process on this hand and it could have easily turned out to not go my way. I mean, there's some luck involved here. My opponent would have played a jack this way and there's also some chance that players like him wake up with pocket aces in these spots and they think they're cute and tricky for not three betting pre-flop but all things considered I think the nines are good a lot and I'm glad that he didn't make my life hard on the river I love poker I know you do too if you're not yet a member of tournament poker edge I think you should sign up as soon as possible it's only $25 a month with a one-year subscription and that is probably one of the best values you will ever find thousands and thousands of hours of amazing poker coaching videos and extremely informative content to help you improve your game at tournamentpokeredge.com so for everyone here at tpe i'm clayton fletcher thank you all so much for listening Love nobody. Everybody, everybody.